0: Welcome to the revolution. Hello, disciples of liberty. Hope you're having a fantastic day today. I have some really simple questions to start to show for you today. Do you have a right to hold opinions that differ from others around you? Can you write and publish what you think? Can you worship as you believe? Can you protest to your government if you, if you disapprove of its policies? Can the government search and seize your property? Can you be arrested and held without trial? Can the government treat you differently than it treats other people? As a citizen, you must know your constitutional rights in order to assert them. So why a constitution? Why did our founding fathers even bother with a constitution? Well, it's pretty simple. George Washington could have been become king if he wanted to. The founding fathers could have ruled over us like... England had a king in his cabinet, but they chose to give the power to the people. In fact, Benjamin Franklin, when he addressed the Constitutional Convention on September 17, 1787, said, quote, I doubt whether any convention we can obtain may be able to be a better constitution. For when you assemble a number of men to have the advantage of their joint wisdom, You inevitably assemble with those men all of their prejudices, their passions, their errors of opinion, their local interests, and their selfish views. From such an assembly can a perfect production be expected. It therefore astonishes me, sir, to find this system approaching so near to perfection as it does, Now, they weren't perfect men, the founding fathers. They were not exceptional men, as I said before. They were people who stepped up and did what was needed to be done to give people power over government, which was unique to the world at that time. Every society will set rules to live by. Our Constitution established the United States government and determined its relationship with the people and the individual states as constitutions go. It is remarkably short and durable. Most state constitutions are hefty documents, and the proposed constitution of the European Union runs up to 60,000 words. The original text of the U.S. Constitution, by comparison, came to only 4,200 words. And all its amendments made over the course of 200 years added just another 3,000 words. Despite its brevity, the Constitution has continued to satisfy the needs of a nation that has grown enormously in territory and population and has seen a vast expansion in both its international and domestic responsibilities. So the Constitution is short. Nothing government does anymore today is short. They tend to want to go to the extreme and lengths of bills, omnibus bills, and everything that they do. And there is good information on the Constitution out there. These are courses. This is a course by Andenberg Classroom. It's not taught. Nobody goes out there and teaches it anymore. But it is important. Our Constitution has existed for more than two centuries. It's been amended infrequently, and the problem with the amendments that we have received for our Constitution, they took a negative effect on our liberty and freedom. In order to win the campaign to ratify the Constitution, the supporters of the new government promised to add a Bill of Rights. Now, the Federalists only promised to add a Bill of Rights because we had anti-Federalists who believed state rights and smaller states should have the right to govern themselves without big states taking over the federal government and dominating them. This was to guarantee a certain basic protection to the people. Congress proposed the first 10 amendments known as the Bill of Rights almost as soon as the new government began, but that wasn't the beginning of the, the 10 amendments. They were proposed by smaller states, and there was over 137 that were in question to be condensed into those 10. Some of them written by the anti-federalist states were the same thing, similar things, different wording, so they combined them. Although thousands of amendments have been proposed since then, over time, through different Congresses, only 17 other amendments have been ratified. And as I said earlier, those 17 amendments has drastically and critically damaged our liberty and freedom. So basically, the basic structure, functions, and powers of the federal government remain essentially the same as when the framers drafted them, giving the United States a bedrock of continuity and stability. Now, we do have to give the power of the Senate back to the states, and, and there are certain things we need to do to get back to the original intent of the founders that we got away from. But these are the supreme law of the land. That's what it's called, the supreme law of the land, the United States Constitution. We live under these rules. It is essential that we know what they are, why they were established, and how they have been implemented, and how they directly affect us. You, you guys in your own cities, and your own towns, how does the Constitution affect you, and how do new laws affect you, and how do they measure up to constitutionality? The Constitution not only designed a government, but also placed limits on it to prevent arbitrary rules. Particularly through its amendments, the Constitution guarantees every American the fundamental right and protection of life, liberty, and property. Now, our government today would contest this. Our government today more wants to operate as a king And the hierarchy that that feel that they are able to dictate your life better than you're able to live your life. This is a problem that many people like me on the radio and constitutionalists throughout the country believe. We are in charge of our government. Washington don't want us to remember that. Washington, D.C., even states, even cities do not want us to believe that we are in charge. And this is a problem that we need to rectify and rectify quickly. The Constitution put chains not on us, but on the people who were supposed to represent us, although we've allowed them to cut those chains. Our Constitution created an effective national government, one that balanced expansive powers with specific limits. By contrast to its sturdy endurance, the first American government established under the Articles of Confederation in March 1781 showed massive signs of weakness and disorder. Within a few years after it was organized, that first national government depended upon the states for revenue but could not compel them and their cooperation. Surrounded by lands controlled by Great Britain, France, and Spain, Congress under the Articles of the Confederation had trouble finding its own army. Its weakness troubled many of the leaders of our young republic. In 1787, they gathered in Philadelphia to form a more perfect union. That was the whole concept is how do we make America strong enough to stand on its own and stand as a beacon of liberty for the world to see and use as a measuring stick. The road to Philadelphia's convention started two years earlier at Mount Vernon, the Virginia estate of General George Washington. The hero of the American Revolution and the man who could have became king brought together representatives from Virginia and Maryland to settle navigation rights on the Potomac River which ran between them. Following the gathering, the Virginia Assembly called for a larger conference to deal with trade among all 13 colonies. Only five colonies bothered to send delegates to the meeting in Annapolis, Maryland. The following year, although disappointed by the turnout, the delegates who had gathered were persuaded by a New Yorker, Alexander Hamilton, to call for a full constitutional convention to tackle the serious weakness in their union. They required that the Confederation Congress issue formal invitation to the states to appoint delegates to meet in Philadelphia. The Constitutional Convention drew 55 delegates from all but one of the states, Rhode Island. Very national interference in its own state economic initiatives stayed, oh, they stayed away. They just sort of boycotted it, I guess you could say is the word would utilize today. Those who decided to come to Philadelphia gained prestige when General Washington agreed not only to serve as a delegate but also as the convention's presiding officer. So in May of 1787, the delegates convened in Philadelphia's Independence Hall where the Declaration of Independence had been adopted in 1776. The Confederation Congress had also met there until 1783. When American soldiers marched on Philadelphia to demand their unpaid salaries, unable to raise sufficient funds either to provide for the military or to protect itself, Congress hastily departed. The Confederation Congress met in several locations before it finally settled in New York City. The ability of this early government, our early Congress, to handle the soldiers' protest demonstrated the powerlessness of America's first national government. Real power rested with the individual states. The Articles of Confederation established a single legislature, but no executive or judiciary branch. In that Congress, all of the states had an equal vote regardless of size. Delegates from seven states had to be present in order to conduct business. To amend the Articles required a unanimous agreement of all the states. These requirements made it difficult to get much done. Imagine that today. Imagine today if every state had one vote. We wouldn't be dealing with democratic socialism today, but we also would be so unorganized and so at each other's throats that it just wouldn't operate efficiently. We wouldn't be the America we are today if we would have maintained with the Articles of uh, Confederation. Just wouldn't happen? The Articles of Confederation created a less a nation than a league of friendship. It was basically a compact that said, hey, we're going to try to get along as best as we can among the 13 colonies. The national government could make treaties and declare war, but it could not raise taxes or require the states to provide the funds that it requested, nor could it stop the states from imposing taxes on each other's exports. The weak national government was in no position to prevent the American economy from sinking into a depression. They really had no power. They couldn't even raise an army. They had to go to the states and say, hey, can you provide militiamen to serve in this army? You know, And they can say, yeah, we could, but we want this person to lead it. We, and, and there just was no cohesiveness. Our country could not get along under the Articles of Confederation. So in Massachusetts, during the winter of 1786, deeply indebted farmers whose land was being foreclosed refused to pay Their state taxes. They basically shut down the local courts and seized a government arsenal. Troops from Massachusetts put down the farmers' revolt that was known as Shays' Rebellion after its leader, Daniel Shays. While the Confederation um, Congress stood helpless in the crisis, from high ground we stood upon, General Washington despaired in May 1786, a letter to John Jay. He said this, quote, To be so fallen, so lost, it is really mortifying to national leaders, including Washington. The need for a stronger central government grew increasingly evident. Yet Americans had only recently rebelled against a tyrannical government and remained suspicious of a concentration of government power. Now you can't blame them, right? You've been under a king's rule and a parliament's rule for so long, and now you just gained your freedom. So imagine like if Texas or Utah or Montana or even New York or California gained its ability to do whatever it wanted without any oversight. Do you think we would have dictatorships throughout the country? We would. It's just human nature to dominate those weaker than you. This is the problem with government today. We've created such large corporations and such large monopolies that their money makes it so they're dominating from behind the scenes of our supposed government that represents us. So this was the dilemma that was facing the 55 delegates who were gathered in Philadelphia. Formerly, they were well-educated and experienced in law and government. Eight of them had signed the Declaration of Independence, A third had served in the Continental Army during the American Revolution. Most had been members of the Continental Congress or the Congress under the Articles of the Confederation. They ranged from young men that included James Madison and Alexander Hamilton, who were still in their 30s, to the 80-year-old Benjamin Franklin. They were merchants, planners, and professionals who had personal interests in creating and preserving a stable society. Some of them had read widely in history and philosophy and had studied other forms of government from republics to monarchies. Now, compare that with what we got today. Right now, we have colleges teaching the art of political science, the art of being a politician. We don't have the candlestick maker. We don't have the plumber. We don't have the carpenter. We don't have um, the other people that will step up and run our government way it should be ran, have different opinions. Right now, we have two parties, the RNC and the DNC, private entities that are billion-dollar corporations that both seek power over our lives, that select these political science graduates to rule over us. Not the opposite, not us ruling over them. This is a critical flaw in what the founders envisioned in what we have become as a nation. The delegates did not intend to produce the type of pure democracy that existed in ancient Greek city-states, where citizens voted on everything. Instead, during their debates, several of the delegates warned against the excesses of democracy with its turbulence and follies and dangerous leveling spirit They were more impressed with the ancient Roman Republic, where representatives of both the aristocracy and the people had a say in passing laws. This is why it bothers constitutionalists like me when these politicians get out and say, we... Want a democracy. We need to expand our democracy. This is not what any of the 55 founding fathers, delegates at our constitutional convention wanted. They wanted to stay away from a democracy. Now they'll say we're based on a democratic republic, but what they are proposing far goes beyond what any of the founders, any of the founders' writings ever recommended for our nation today. The problem is. We don't have the courage to stand up. We don't have the arms to stand up. And when we do stand up, they shut us down. They call us domestic terrorists. They attack us. They want to stop us from utilizing critical thinking and logical thinking. And they want us to just be sheeps to the mainstream media. So we just follow their agenda. You look at it, and when you have an aristocracy... As the British subjects by birth, all of the delegates shared in the British legal tradition, dating all the way back to the writings of the Magna Carta, the Great Charter, that was written in 1215, which stated that all people have rights that even a king has to respect. The delegates to the Constitutional Convention were also influenced by the ideas of philosophers from European Enlightenment era. And I recommend you study the Enlightenment era. Read the books yourself. Don't take my word on it. Read the original dialogue of where freedom was intended to come from. The 18th century intellectual movement that emphasized rational thought. See, this is what Americans are missing today, rational thought. These philosophers had defined ideal governments as ones in which power was separated between three branches the executive, legislative, and judicial branches that could maintain a check and balance system with each other. See, this is where the three branches of government came from. It wasn't some, you know epiphany that the founding fathers had that, hey, man, we need to uh, create a government with three branches. This was talked about in the 18th century by some of the greatest philosophers that saw a better way to control and maintain government. The problem with it was is getting it passed. How do you get people to yield power? How do you get governments to walk away from power? So You're listening to the Disciples of Liberty. The Disciples of Liberty is one of the last bastions of people who will gather to defend the Constitution and the original intent of the Constitution. In order to do that, we need to elect differently. We need to vote differently. The problem is getting people to change their behavior and their ways is almost an impossibility anymore because they are so programmed and brainwashed by the national media and the political parties that control the world and the corporations who depend on the politicians to enhance their business. So I can understand the views from both sides. And I'm not talking to Democrats and Republican politicians. I'm talking about people who identify more as um, liberal-leaning, social-leaning freedom to constitutionalists who want to live by rule of law. Because independent thought is what the Founding Fathers intended for us. We just haven't been able to achieve it in the last few decades. And it has been a slow takeover of... The Constitution, a slow takeover of power this is the problem when when you do anything slowly, you know it, it goes back to the um, concept of if you put a frog in water and you slowly turn it up, the frog will sit there until it eventually boils to death. But if it was really hot you 'd throw the frog in and try to get out immediately. When you do things slowly and entice people with free things and promise them the things that they want, they tend to like you more. Okay, this guy's not a bad guy because he's promising to give me something that'll take from somebody else. And unfortunately, that's why democracies fail. When you can have a large group of people that are persuaded by government to um, be thieves, to take away from one group of society and give it to the other. As North Americans, the delegates had additional examples of uh, a confederation in which five Native American tribes in New York State governed themselves independently, but also sent their chiefs to to a great council to make decisions on larger issues of war, peace, affecting the five tribes. This is sort of how the states were supposed to be. See, the cities were supposed to have powers over the states. The state was supposed to have power over the people in the state based on what the people wanted and over the federal government. And the federal government was supposed to bow to the whim of the states. So basically what it was, the states were supposed to elect the best among them as senators, send them off to Washington to represent the states. Well, people who sought power didn't like that. So they created the amendment which gave you the right to vote on your senator. It was an easy sale don't you believe you should have say in who your senator is and not your state legislature? Everybody's like, yeah, I want say in everything. But it was a deceptive argument because the argument was basically we want to make people who don't pay attention to states' rights and the issues that are affecting the states to vote for the senator so we can control them here. And that's what's happened. They control the Senate, they control the House, they control the presidency, and they control the Supreme Court. There is no checks and balances in America's government today. So in writing a constitution, the delegates departed from the practice in Great Britain where the government was established not by a single document, but rather by the entirety body of British common law, the rulings of judges and parliamentary legislation. The delegates were instead continuing a a colonial tradition that dated back to the Mayflower Compact of 1620 and other colonial charters. These systems had accustomed Americans to the idea of a single document serving as a contract between the people and their government. So the question I have for you today before we end this first half of the show is do you believe Washington, D.C., and even the state has violated their contract with you, the people? That is a very important question. You're either going to stand on the side that I'm on that wants to um, end Washington's power grab, that wants to return to original intent, that wants to start limiting and taking away the power that they have stolen from us over the last few years, or are you going to stand on the side that has been brainwashed And bought into the concept that we're a democracy and you are going to then um, stay on the socialist side. The people who want to take over the government to um, try to level the playing field by being unfair and criminal. There's only two sides. There's the correct side if you believe in liberty and freedom, and there's the other side if you believe in socialism and democracy and the takeover of liberty and freedom from the people of this great country that I so love. Why is it that radio hosts like me do this? You know, we we don't take a paycheck for this. We're not out selling our shows to sponsors. We're not trying to get people to tell us what we're allowed to talk about, other than you, the listeners, who we care about at America Out Loud, and we ask all the time, what is it you want us to do a show on? What is it you want us to research? I still have yet to have one suggestion. This is why sometimes it gets so depressing doing radio and trying to help educate and inform, because there's no participation from the people of this country. The people of this country are asleep. The people of this country are lazy. The people of this country care more about themselves than they do as our nation as a whole. That's an honest thing. I've been saying for for decades, if you have an idea or a topic you want to know more about, but you don't have the time to research, contact me or any other radio host or the network and say, we would really love somebody to do the research on this so we can get actual facts. The actual facts on today's show basically come from the writings of our founding fathers, not liberal artists who wrote a book based on the founding fathers' lives and who want you to believe they understand the founding fathers because they don't. Most of these people write their books based on their opinion and not the facts. And you can find all the facts of the founding fathers, the anti-federalists, the federalists in their own writings. They were prolific writers, The Founding Fathers wrote all the time. They cared about documenting their lives and their reading, and they wrote letters to each other that you can read in archives. There is so much information out there if you just look and help. The other thing we ask for on America Out Loud is that you share these shows via your social media. It might get you in trouble. But, hey, what's a little trouble? What's getting banned from Facebook if you're fighting for our nation? What's getting thrown off Twitter if you're fighting for our nation? You know, TikTok America out loud and start sending America out loud the TikToks that you create about joining the Disciples of Liberty or any other show on this network. Stand up and fight. That's all I'm saying. Have your voices heard. I wrote a poem once. If one voice could change the world, would I make it mine? Will you participate? Will you add your voice to the voices that are on the America Out Loud Network? Because we need you. We need participation from everybody, folks, and we're not seeing it. So one other way is if you you feel uncomfortable with getting out and talking and posting on your social media, which you shouldn't, then if you're a coffee drinker, go to heavensbrew.com. And purchase a pound of coffee that will help fund the network and keep voices like mine on the air because we don't get paid for this. We work regular jobs like you. We are the normal people. Now, I've been a radio host for 20 years, but I've also had a career outside radio because radio hasn't paid me. I do this out of pure love of country and constitution, and so did the other hosts on the network. So find a host that you can associate with, grasp to them, share their shows, and participate that way if there's no way at all we'll talk more about the constitution how it came about why we have a constitution why the founders were so concerned about freedom and liberty on the other side
1: Each of us is born with 30 trillion cells that make us. These cells determine how we feel, perform, sleep, focus, and how long we live. And to live our best life, all we have to do is feed our cells. But most food and supplements don't reach our cells, keeping us from reaching our full potential. Make every cell count with Healthy Cell. Founded with a mission to empower people to take control of their own health at the most fundamental level, Dr. Vincent Jampapa, world-renowned cell researcher and medical doctor, created supplements that work at the cellular level to boost immune health, sleep better, focus deeper and stay younger longer. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of any product. That's HealthyCell.com. H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L
2: and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. It's time to rethink COVID disinfection. A study by Harvard, Drexel, and Virginia Tech concluded, we don't have a single documented case of COVID transmission through surfaces. The reality is that COVID spreads mainly through the air. Shared air is the problem, not shared surfaces. The solution is the Genesis Fogger which uses natural HOCL to disinfect both air and surfaces simultaneously. It's perfect for home or business. NIH says HOCL may well be the disinfectant of choice for coronaviruses. There's nothing more natural or more effective. Genesis fogs at the precise particle size to combat COVID and other harmful pathogens. It's what's missing from your disinfecting protocol. Visit genesisfogger.com. America Out Loud listeners receive a fifteen percent discount with promo code Out Loud at genesisvogger.com/outloud.
0: All right, welcome back to the Disciples of Liberty. I came up with Disciples of Liberty a few years ago on a book I'm writing called Origins of Liberty. Um, you can find the book Origins of Liberty on the America Out Loud website. It's a great gift for people just learning about freedom and liberty and where it came from. There's only two options. Today we're talking about the Constitution because, in order to understand liberty and freedom and understand what We are fighting for what the Trump people really represent, what we really love is our Constitution, our United States Constitution. Trump wasn't a perfect person, but he stood against the corporations and the people who wanted to bring socialism to this country, both on the Republican and Democratic side. For ratification of the Constitution, often called the father of our Constitution, James Madison was born in 1751 and raised on a plantation in Orange County, Virginia. He graduated from the College of New Jersey, later Princeton University, during the American Revolution, but his fragile health kept him from military service. Madison instead involved himself in public affairs by helping to write Virginia's first constitution. He served in both the Continental Congress and the Confederation Congress. He was a delegate to the Annapolis Convention, having lost faith in the government formed under the Articles of the Confederation. He actively promoted the Constitutional Convention and took the lead in drafting the Virginia Plan, which offered the basic structure of the new government. After winning Virginia's ratification of the Constitution, Madison was elected to the House of Representatives during the first Congress. There he led the Federalists and sponsored the Bill of Rights. Madison grew troubled over the policies of the Presidents George Washington and John Adams. He joined with Thomas Jefferson in founding um, the Democratic-Republican Party in opposition to the Federalists. When Jefferson became president in 1801, he named Madison as his Secretary of State. Later, Madison seceded uh, Jefferson, serving as president from 1809 to 1817. During his administration, the United States declared war on Great Britain. In August 1814, British troops invaded Washington, D.C. They burned the Capitol and White House, forcing Madison to flee to safety. America's pride was savaged, um, and salvaged by victory of its troops in New Orleans. Madison devoted his last years as president to rebuilding the Capitol and the national economy. At the time of his death in 1836, Madison was the last surviving delegate to the Constitutional Convention. That's just some facts, interesting facts. Now back to what we were talking about. When the delegates got together, the 55 delegates convened Virginia's governor, Edmund Randolph, offered a bold proposal that they simply revise the Articles of Confederation but create an entirely new form of national government. He introduced the Virginia Plan. See, hence the James Madison history, which outlined a Congress with two bodies, a House of Representatives and a Senate. The new government would also have a separate executive branch headed by a president who would be both chief executive and commander-in-chief of the armed forces. The plan also called for an independent judiciary. Now, the reason they wanted a House of Representatives and a Senate is because the House of Representatives would be the representatives of the people, elected by the people. And the Senate would be the voice and mouthpiece of the states. So the small states would have one voice, one vote, or two voices, two votes. Hence, we have two senators from every state, but the House of Representatives is based on population. That's why... Power-hungry people wanted to take the Senate from the states because it would get the states less involved in national politics. Although it was Randolph who introduced the Virginia Plan, its actual author was James Madison, a young Virginian who served in the Confederation Congress and knew its weaknesses firsthand. Much of what we know today about the Constitutional Convention, we owe to Madison, who kept very detailed notes Of the secret sessions in an effort to avoid public pressures that might hinder their ability to reach a consensus. The delegates had barred the doors and windows and conducted all their businesses away from the public view. See, then you don't get public clamor. You don't get the people, the mobs like Black Lives Matter or Antifa, or even, dare I say it, the Tea Party people trying to influence the decisions the states wanted to make. The official minutes of the convention recorded little of the debate between delegates, but Madison took a seat in front of the chamber where he could hear the presiding officer and members on both sides, and he diligently kept a daily journal that summarizes the members' arguments. His notes revealed the shared sentiments and disagreements among the delegates, the alternate proposals they considered, and the compromises they reached. This was not published until after his death, but it is published, folks. His notes have become an essential source of jurists who ponder the Founders' intent for each provision of the Constitution. That's why I say we can't take opinions from mainstream media who have never read the writings of Madison's notes or any of our Founding Fathers on what the intentions of our Founding Fathers were. The Virginia Plan envisioned a republic based on popular consent. Elected officials would represent the people, although the people could vote directly only for members of the House of Representatives. State legislators would elect senators. Members of the electoral college chosen by the people would elect the president. The Virginia Plan provided that each state would have representation in the House and Senate that reflected the size of their population. This was the desire of, of course, the larger states like New York, which blamed the Articles of Confederation's weakness on the equal representation of the states. Because every state had one vote under the old system, the smaller states representing a minority of the population could block the will of the majority. This was by intent. They never wanted majority rule in this nation because, let's face it, North Carolina is different from New York. Tennessee is different from the people of California. Texas is different than the people of Utah. We're raised differently. We're raised with different religions, different views, different concepts of how morality exists. We just have a different upbringing, mindset. The smaller states, of course, refuse to accept any plan that sacrificed their equality. They countered with a plan introduced by William Patterson of New Jersey that would have preserved the government structure under the Articles of Confederation. The convention voted to reject the New Jersey plan in favor of the Virginia plan, granting the larger states the most members in both houses of the new Congress. But the smaller states would not tolerate inequality, and they continued to fight for their rights. The convention reached a massive impasse, just as it planned to take a few days off to celebrate the 4th of July. It appointed a special committee to try to work out that disagreement during the recess. This was chaired by Roger Sherman of Connecticut. He was one of the anti-Federalists I love. Read his writings, please. The committee split the differences between the two factions. It proposed that the larger House of Representatives reflect the size of each state's population, while the states would have an equal representation in the Senate. This became known as the Connecticut Compromise, or the Great Compromise. The delegates accepted the compromise and, as an additional assurance to the smaller states, Wrote into the Constitution that no, wrote into the Constitution that no state would lose its equality in the Senate without its consent, which of course no state would give. Throughout this compromise, the Constitution went on to create a single nation from a confederation of states, colonies that became states. yet the, the colonies remained as permanent and integral part of the new federal system. This was until. The year 1917, when they took the Senate away from the states, folks. That was the first real blow to the original intent of the Constitution. The absence of anyone representing Rhode Island served as a reminder to the other delegates that it would be folly for them to require unanimity in any new form of government because somebody might not show up. So, how do you get a unanimous vote if? States are not showing up. They provided that the Constitution could be ratified by the vote of nine of the 13 states. Nor would unanimity be needed for future amendments. Instead, the approval of two-thirds of both houses of Congress and three-quarters of the states would be required to ratify an amendment. From May until September 1787, the delegates... Deliberated over all aspects of the new government they worked out its structure and listed the specific powers of each branch however they left considerable flexibility in implementing those powers by giving congress the power to make all laws necessary and proper everybody in government takes away and forgets the necessary and proper clause for carrying out its explicit powers Is it necessary and proper to take from one group of people to give to another? Is it necessary and proper to put future generations at risk by placing them in debt? The founding fathers said no to all these ideas, yet we're doing it. The great difficulty in framing a government, as James Madison pointed out in The Federalist, the papers written to support ratification of the Constitution, was first to enable the government to control the governed, and in the next place, oblige it to control itself, put chains on it, bind it to the people. Assuming that human nature would always be the same, and that powerful leaders would inevitably try to amass greater power, and organizations like the RNC and DNC would try to amass greater power over the people. The Constitution divided power among the branches of government and created a system of checks and balances, Madison reasoned that ambition must be made to counteract ambition. On September 17, 1787, most of the delegates signed the new Constitution. A few of them, notably Virginia's George Mason, declined to add their signatures on the grounds that the Constitution lacked a Bill of Rights that would identify and protect the rights of citizens over governments. The weary delegates had voted down a bill of rights on the grounds that the state constitutions already protected the people's liberty. Do you believe that your state constitution trumps the U.S. Constitution? This is the problem. State constitutions, governments, our government today says no. Fooey to that. You have to do what we say. They have violated every original intent that the founders meant during this convention. Most signers had good reason to feel satisfied with their accomplishment. The elderly Benjamin Franklin pointed out at the end of their deliberation that the back of the chair where General Washington sat while presiding had a half sun carved upon it. Often during the debates, he had looked at at that sun behind the president without being able to tell whether it was rising or setting. He said, but now at length, I have the happiness to know that it is rising and not a setting sun. Some of the delegates right after traveled directly to New York City to serve in the Confederation Congress. They presented the Constitution to Congress, which transmitted it to the colonies for ratification so they could become states. Proponents of the Constitution identified themselves as Federalist. Skeptics were became known as the Anti-Federalists, those who people like me associate more with. The opponents feared the Constitution would create a powerful central government that would overwhelm the states and would run contrary to the spirit of the American Revolution. They were particularly agitated over the Constitution's lack of a Bill of Rights. Unlike the idolistic Declaration of Independence, which had declared that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, the Constitution made little reference to religion except to prohibit any religious test as a qualification for candidate for federal office. It did, however, date its completion in the year of our Lord 1787. As was customary at the time, the Constitution was a pragmatic document that sought to balance the varied interests of large and small states. And I think it did a very good job until we, the people, and corrupt politicians interfered to ruin it. The mass of the people and the wealthy elite and those who supported and those who opposed human slavery all came together. Now, George Mason had never left his native Virginia until he traveled to Philadelphia as a delegate to the Constitutional Convention. He preferred to remain in his comfortable home. He was sort of an introvert, Gustin Hall, but went to the convention because he favored a stronger national government. Born on a Virginia plantation in 1725, Mason was a planner and also treasurer of the Ohio Company, which sold land to settlers moving westward. To assist his work with the Ohio Company, he he read each of the colony's charters. This experience provided Handy in 1776 when he joined with Virginia Patriots in writing the state's Declaration of Rights and its first Constitution of Virginia. Mason served as a delegate to the conference held at Mount Vernon in 1785 and became one of Virginia's delegates to the Constitutional Convention of 1787. At first, he worked closely with his fellow Virginia delegates, James Madison, but soon uh, their thinking diverged, and Mason grew disillusioned. Mason feared the Constitution gave too much authority to the president over Congress and too much power to the national government over the states. When Mason lost a motion to add the Bill of Rights, he told the delegates that he would rather chop off his right hand than put the Constitution as it now stands. Back in Virginia, he fought against ratification. Not even Congress enactments of the Bill of Rights appeased Mason. He died in 1792, suspicious of the Constitution to the very end. Why? Well, if you read the anti-federalist papers and you look at some of the things that we are facing today as a nation when government tries to overreach and they use their opinion... If we would have had some of those anti-federalist writings, and I've done a show, you can find it in the archives, on the anti-federalist papers, if, and I included all of those. If we would have included some of those, then we would be a better nation today because it would be undoubtable what the founding fathers were intentioned for. Um, opinion would not play a role. Uh, slavery seemed to many Americans during that time contradictory to their revolution's principles of freedom and equality. The northern states had already began to abolish slavery at the time of the convention. But the southern states were growing more dependent on slave labor. There just wasn't enough regular people to get the crops and fields harvested. At the convention, Southern delegates insisted that the Constitution need not interfere with slavery. Northerners agreed, both because they considered slavery a state matter and because they felt that the Southern states would never enter the Union without such a guarantee, a guarantee which they threw away during the Civil War. Agreed. Slavery is bad and it should have never happen. I'm just saying the facts that it was a compact, not a contract, And the southern states only came in because of that promise that was never upheld. The framers did not use the word slave in the Constitution, but referred uh, instead to other persons when addressing issues related to slavery and the slave population. The Constitution prohibited Congress from ending the importation of slaves before 1808. It also provided that slaves to be counted as three-fifths a person to determine taxation and representation in Congress. At at that time, slaves accounted for 20% of the U.S. population, mostly concentrated in the South. During the ratification of the Constitution, the more inflammatory issues uh, was not its toleration of slavery, but its lack of a Bill of Rights. Thomas Jefferson, who had drafted the Declaration of Independence, was away serving as the American minister to France. Jefferson admired the delegate's work, but he wrote to his friend, James Madison, the Bill of Rights is what the people are entitled to against every government on earth, and what no just government should refuse. Many other Americans shared Jefferson's concern about the protection of their rights. In order to win ratification, the authors of the Constitution needed to explain and defend their handiwork to the people. Under the joint pen name of Publius, Latin for the public, or the people, James Madison, Alexander Hamilton, and John Jay wrote a brilliant series of essays published in newspapers throughout the states in 1788. These essays have been reprinted in book form in many editions. You can find it on the Internet, and they're known today as the Federalist Papers, the Federalist. They explained how the new government would work and sought to calm people's apprehensions about it. In one of his essays, Madison discussed the failure of past republics when one faction grew so strong that it dominated and suppressed all others. Madison predicted that the American Republic would survive because of its size and its continued growth. In a large republic, no single faction would predominate, he reasoned. This would prevent a powerful majority from suppressing the rights of the minority. As American moves westward into new territories, they would form new sta- states that would join the Union and add even more groups into the equation. The arguments put forth by the authors of the Federalist Papers carried great weight, and they still informed us about the thinking of the framers of the Constitution. On December 7, 1787, Delaware became the first state to ratify the Constitution, and other states quickly followed. The fiercest um, battles took place in the larger states, in Virginia. Revolutionary war pa- uh, patriots such as Patrick Henry and Richard Henry Lee opposed the Constitution, while Washington and Madison argued in favor. To gain support, Madison pledged that the new government would move speedily to adopt a Bill of Rights. On June 25th, 1788, after four months of debate, the Virginia Convention voted 89 to 79 for ratification. Very slight win for him. On July 26th, New York concluded the equally divisive debate and approved the Constitution by a 30 to 27 margin. North Carolina's convention voted against ratification. However, the Rhode Island never called a convention. Still, 11 of the 13 states ratified the Constitution, which was more than required. North Carolina eventually joined the Union in 1789 and Rhode Island in 1790. So among its last acts, the outgoing Confedera- uh, Con- Confederation Congress set the first Wednesday in January of 1789 as the date for the first presidential election. The Electoral College would cast its ballots on the first Wednesday in February, and the new government would begin on the first Wednesday in March, but on March 4, 1789, neither the House nor the Senate could establish a quorum. Both had to wait until April when enough members arrived to conduct the business. Many of the delegates need... Uh, Delegates to the Constitutional Convention were elected as members of the first Congress, including James Madison, who served in the House of Representatives. This is how our nation was created. But Madison, true to his word, introduced a Bill of Rights. He looked at the Anti-Federalist Papers and thought what he pulled out would be enough to maintain the rights of the people. Congress crafted the proposals into 12 amendments. The states ratified 10 of them, which became known as the Bill of Rights, 200 years later, in 1992, the states ratified the 11th of those original amendments, which dealt with congressional pay increases. The unratified 12th amendment would have set the number of people to be represented in each congressional district at 50,000, a number so low that the House of Representatives would now have grown to many thousand members, which would never accomplish anything. We'll talk about the difference... And the Bill of Rights and the Federalist Papers, again, on a different show, folks. But you've been listening to the Disciples of Liberty on the America Out Loud Network. Please share this network. Please share your thoughts. My email is my name, Tim Alders, A-A-L-D-E-R-S, at live.com. We have to educate ourselves in order to have adult conversations. We have to not read the books that were written by other people on their views of the Founding Fathers, but read the Founding Fathers and formulate our views because their views, their ideas were complete. They were solid. Remember my book, Origins of Liberty, in the bookstore? Remember, if you want to support the station, heavensbrew.com. And remember, folks, 2022 is coming up. It's critical for us to work together as a nation to make sure that we don't elect the same people who have been bought and sold so many times that they care very little about your freedom and liberty, but the corporate donors and the dark money that support them. Folks, it's important that you research and study on your own. Use your own critical thinking. Come to your own conclusions. The conclusions you'll come to will be like mine. They'll be for freedom and liberty. I have no doubt. I have faith in the American people. The American people are what make America great. I love you. God bless.